The last few weeks have been really troubling times, and uh, I've been kind of brooding about this a lot. Uh, so I thought for the next few weeks, um, before I leave, I wanted to talk about join the revolution. I'm going, what? What is he talking about now? Now that I've got your attention. But it's a revolution of love and kindness. It's the revolution that Jesus invites us to join. There's been a lot of talk recently about racial, racial strife, especially in the United States for the last few days. And as Canadians, we dare not be smug and say, oh, I'm so glad I don't live there. Those people. We've got our own issues. We're just too polite to address them and we keep them all under the rug. We've got our stuff, if we're honest. And I thought about rewriting that song this morning that we sang, I Surrender. I Surrender All My Stuff. That's kind of what we're singing as we sing that song. Lord, I surrender all my stuff that I carry along. So keeping that in mind, I hope that we have tender hearts to listen to what Holy Spirit has to say to us through God's words. Any talk of uh, reconciliation is not going to happen from demonstrations and counter-demonstrations. I watched just a few minutes of the... uh, demonstrators clashing at Charlottesville and I thought ah what chaos what possible good can come out of anger versus anger now it's it's good to express your opinion publicly that's that's great and to do it in a way that uh, does not physically damage other people but hate versus hate just does not get us anywhere and so what are we to make of all of this As Christians, we need a firm foundation for any conversation we have around reconciliation or else sooner or later we'll give up and be discouraged and become cynical or it'll quickly devolve into hate, one side or the other. It's not going to work. So this morning, I want to, before we talk any more about reconciliation, I want to establish a good foundation for it. So in your pew Bibles today, I need your help. Can someone tell me what page... 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Everybody grab a Bible, okay? It should be in front of you. You're going to need to follow with me, okay? Because we're going old school here today. 884? Who said that? Who said 884? Oh, okay, thank you. Helen, free coffee next week, okay? 10 o'clock? Meet you here, all right? I'll buy the coffee. I might even be making it. We'll see. Thank you very much. Page 884. We're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to read what I've got here. I'm going to read through, just make a couple of comments on it uh, because I want it to establish um, a baseline for thinking about reconciliation. And there's going to be several news flashes I'm going to put up on the screen as we read through this chapter together, Okay. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies and long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. 
While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and be rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on the new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared this for us. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Newsflash number one. Life is short. Pay attention to the eternal. So often we get caught up in current things and our present life, we lose perspective on what's really important. And it's good to take care of our physical bodies, the one we start out with. That's good stewardship, and the Bible teaches that. But there's a lot more to life than this, right? A lot more to the life to come. And how we spend our time here on earth really determines what's going to happen afterwards. So it's, it's very important. But Paul is saying life is short. We, we, he compares our bodies to tents. Who's done any camping this summer? Yeah? Okay. Tents are meant to be portable and temporary structures, right? And so that's why Paul compares us to a tent. So life is short. Pay attention to the eternal. Let's continue. So we're always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. We live by faith, not by sight, another version of the Bible says. Yes, we're fully confident, and we'd rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we'll be at home with the Lord. So, whether we're here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please Him. That's our bottom line in life, is to please God. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Newsflash number two. Nobody gets away with anything. That could be good news or bad news, but I'll let you sort that out between you and God. But nobody gets away with anything. Jesus holds us all responsible for how we live in this earthly body. Let's continue. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we're sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we're giving you a reason to be proud of us so that you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we're crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds... Well, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. Newsflash number three. Everything we do is in response to Jesus' love for us. You can evaluate your, your motivations for being a Christian, and they're good to check in with those, but I think the, the motivation that will keep us going the longest and the farthest and most meaningful is that Christ's love compels us. It just squeezes us in. When, when, when you realize, not just singing, but when we realize in our spirit how much Jesus loves us and how much it cost him to die for a rebellious humanity and embrace us in spite of ourselves, we want to say, yeah, I surrender all my stuff to you and follow him. Christ's love 
compels me, Paul says. It just doesn't give me an option. Not that I'm forced to. It's just a a response out of gratitude and a grateful heart. So everything we do is in response to Jesus' love for us. Pretty basic stuff, but it gets better. Let's keep going. So we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Now we should just land there for a minute. We've stopped evaluating other people from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. So at one time, Paul and all his cronies said, ah, oh, that Jesus, he's, he's a nut bar. He's a, he's a religious flake, and we've got to stomp this out. And then Jesus reveals himself to Paul. He realizes that he's the king of kings. He's got to turn his life over to him. And then all of a sudden that changes Paul's perspective on other human beings as well. And he starts looking at people from a different perspective. And for many of us, this is a process that has to continue to happen as we look at other people. We don't judge them on the outside. We see them as people that Jesus loves and dies for and and wants to be in a relationship with. That's how we regard other people. That's what Paul means. From now on, we don't just look at people from a worldly point of view. So some of those demonstrators you see on YouTube, whatever side of the fence they're on, we don't just look at them as opposition or people who aren't even human. We see them the way Jesus sees them. That's the transformation that needs to happen in our hearts when we no longer look at people from a worldly point of view. So we look at people differently. And that means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone, the new life has begun. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Still tracking with me in the Bibles? That's good. Here's the next splash. Our new perspective on reality compels us to invite people to be reconciled to God because we know what this is like. And we are Christ's ambassadors. When I was out of university, I wrote a, a Canadian Foreign Service entrance exam. I thought it would be really cool to be an ambassador in the Foreign Service. I did really well in the test. They just didn't seem to have any openings for chemistry majors. So I went a different direction. But now Jesus has called me and he's called all of us to be his ambassadors, inviting people to be reconciled to God, inviting people to get into this amazing opportunity to be made right with our creator and to live life the way it was originally, we were originally intended to live it. So that new perspective compels us to invite people, ah, oh, come on, be reconciled to God, Okay. Now, that's a lot of stuff. We've covered a whole chapter of the New Testament in just a few minutes. But I want you to be thinking about reconciliation and ambassadors and why we do what we do. Because the bottom line is that the cross of Christ 
is not just a bridge that gets us to God. You see that diagram there, the bridge diagram? I've, I've used that a lot. It's a, it's a helpful way of explaining, you know, the gap between us and God and how Jesus' death makes it possible for us to be in relationship with God. But it, the, the, the cross is not just a bridge that gets us to God. It's a sledgehammer that breaks down the walls that separate us. Remember that passage that was read this morning from Ephesians 2 that Kim was talking about? It talked about a wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, racial, religious, cultural animosity, and even hatred. They wouldn't have anything to do to, with each other. Then they start following Jesus. And that wall gets blown up, just like the Berlin Wall in this picture. I saw that thing before it got torn down, and I actually predicted that I would never see it torn down in my lifetime. I actually said that in a sermon. Fortunately, the church I was working in did not believe in stoning self-prophets, or false prophets, so I'm still alive today. I was totally wrong, so glad to be wrong. The cross of Christ tears down walls that separate us. It's through the love of God as we experience it, we look at people different from ourselves and realize we've got Jesus in common. We're family. Now, you can't just summon up that goodwill on your own. I admire people that are filled with goodwill. They've got more stamina than I do. I admire people who are just humanistically inclined to desire the best for everybody. I'm, I'm too shallow to think that way. I need Jesus to change me. I need Jesus to sustain me. I need Jesus to change my attitude. And he's working on me all the time. And it's the cross of Christ that breaks down, truly breaks down barriers between people. God's heart is for reconciliation. It's all through the Bible. It's not just like a ding, oh, God has this idea in the New Testament. Oh my goodness, People are going to hell and dying without me. I need to do something about that. All through the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, God's heart has been all about reconciliation and gathering human beings into relationship with him. Listen to this first. Like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. Basically, we only go around once. And we die. But... That is not what God desires. Rather, he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. God is actively seeking out rebels. He's actively searching for us and giving us opportunities to respond to his love. And we can be part of that movement. We can be part of that revolution by helping to invite people to meet the creator. Be reconciled to him, be reconciled to ourselves and to each other. I'm going to give you two examples of how this reconciliation plays out. One from the New Testament and one from modern day times. Our creator pulls out all the stops in an effort to reconcile a rebellious humanity to himself. And once he's reconciled us to himself, then we can begin to be reconciled to one another. In this new community, there can be no room for racial prejudice, Bigotry of any kind. No judging one another based on appearance or address or income level or political affiliation or where we grew up or whatever. Even maybe what hockey team we cheer for. I don't want to take it too far. But anyway, um, 
the, the two main pillars of the church in the book of Acts, Peter and Paul, had their own struggles with racism. Paul was a fire-breathing enforcer of the status quo. And he was having Christians persecuted and thrown in prison. He was a strictly Orthodox Jew. And yet, he spent most of his church-planting missionary career preaching the good news about Jesus to non-Jewish peoples. In fact, the church said, Paul... You and Silas are well-suited to preaching to the Gentiles. You go to them. We'll talk to the Jewish folks. Divide and conquer. Away we go. Peter, likewise, was from an observant Jewish background. And one day, God, through a vision, reveals to Peter his plan to reconcile all of humanity to himself, not just a select few, not just a few insiders. And through a vision and a spiritual appointment with a God-fearing Roman army officer, Peter comes to this conclusion, this conclusion in Acts chapter 10. Peter says, it's clear to me now that God plays no favorites, that God accepts every person, whatever his or her culture or ethnic background, that God welcomes all who revere him and do right. You already know what God, that God sent a message to the people of Israel. It was a message of peace, peace through Jesus the anointed, who is king of all people. This was earth-shattering for Peter. Earth-shattering. For us, it would seem a no-brainer in multicultural Canada, but it was earth-shattering. And it was the kindness of God to reveal this to Peter in such a dramatic way that it was a life-changing event. And fortunately for us, it, it, it changed the direction of the church and opened it up for everyone. So that's a modern day, sorry, a New Testament example of reconciliation, the walls being knocked down uh, between people. I want to give you an example that I saw myself uh, about 10 years ago. Um, Our daughter, my daughter Esther and I went uh, to Serbia on a short-term mission. And there's a church there in Novi Sad, Serbia, Novi Sad Christian Fellowship that was started by a... um, a Canadian gentleman and his wife. They're actually from Serbian descent. They uh, went to school and were working in Ontario. God called them for a very comfortable job back to Novi Sad, back to Serbia, to plant a church there. Now, what's remarkable about this church is that it's full of different ethnic groups. If you know anything about the, the history of Yugoslavia, to be honest, it probably was a country that should never have been created. It was put together after the First World War. And it literally had six or seven different official languages forced together. And these, there's, there's just centuries of ethnic enmity and outright hatred between these groups. Serbs and, and, and Croats and Montenegrins and people who just could hardly stand each other. And between the two world wars, and after the Second World War, rather, um, Tito at a communist government was keeping the lid on everything. And after he died, all literally all hell broke loose. And people were all of a sudden killing their neighbors. It was just insane. It was demonic. It was crazy. But through this, in the wreckage of this country, um, Danny and Vera leave their comfortable life in Ontario and they move to Novi Sad and God helps them plant a church And this church is full of people from all kinds of different backgrounds. 
So you've got Serbs and Croatians and, and people from Muslim backgrounds and, and um, Serbian Orthodox background and Catholic background and no background at all. They're all in this church and they're loving each other and serving their community. They've got a thriving um, drug and alcohol rehabilitation center coming out of this place. And I got invited to, to speak there one time. The only time I've ever preached in Serbian, to, can't remember a word I said, but it was an amazing experience and a real privilege for me to see that in real life. So that is an example of how the cross of Christ can knock down barriers between people. Technically, these people shouldn't even been in the same room. That was not, unfortunately, not a reflection of their country, but it was a reflection of how the love of Jesus can transform people and change them from the inside out. So the cross of Christ isn't just a bridge that gets us to God. It's a sledgehammer that breaks down walls that separate us. This is a quote from Rich Philotus in New Life Church. If any of you did the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, he's one of the pastors at that church. So what do we do now? This could be a feel-good talk. Wow, I'm glad somebody, something good's going on in Serbia. That's good. Good story. Inspiring. What do we do with this now? As I said, as Canadians, we face these same tensions. If we're honest, we do. Just one practical note, I'd encourage you to go on Steve Bell's website. Our Steve Bell, our friend, the Christian musician here in Winnipeg, he's been blogging a lot about uh, reconciliation from a, a Christian perspective that I can absolutely trust what comes out of Steve's heart. I'll give you some food for thought and way to pray. What I'd like to do this morning is for us to pray. It's not just inactive. Uh, actually, prayer is not so much about getting God to do what we want God to do. Prayer is more about Him changing us. I've been learning this the hard way. I used to think that if I pulled the right lever or pushed the right buttons, I would get what I want. And I was banging on the door, say, hello. That's not really what prayer is all about. It's about God and myself having a conversation where I talk to him and, oh yeah, I'm supposed to listen to him as well. And he shapes me through that. Yeah, he answers those prayers, sometimes in surprising ways. Often he's more concerned about shaping me than shaping my circumstances. But that's all right. It's probably for the best anyway because he's a lot smarter than I am. So what do we do now? To clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Karl Barth. I think he was referring to the Lord's Prayer. We say, Lord, thy will be done on heaven as it is on earth. Right? God, whatever God wants to happen in heaven happens, right? Because he's God. So we pray, Lord, we want to cooperate with you. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? And as we pray that, he reminds us, oh yeah, God's invited me to be part of this kingdom reconciliation thing. I guess I need to look for opportunities to express that and allow God to change my heart and change my attitude and what could that look like. I'm going to invite you 
to join me in a prayer that was written by this gentleman, Rich, uh, Rich Viotis, for his church in New York City and just offered up online for churches across North America as we struggle with all this ethnic, racial rivalry and hatred that's popping up. This, it's really ugly. And how do we respond intelligently and passionately as Christians? So I'm going to invite you to pray along with me. It's kind of a call and response thing, so I will read part of it, and then you can respond together, okay? Lord Jesus, your kingdom is good news for a world caught in racial hostility. We ask that you would give us grace for the deep challenges facing our country. Oh, Lord... Only you can make all things new. Lord, we confess our anger, our deep sadness, and our collective sense of weakness to see this world healed through our own strength. Oh, Lord, only you can make all things new. Lord, we honestly confess that our country has a long history of racial oppression, that racism has been a strategy of evil powers and principalities. O Lord, only you can make all things new. Lord, we confess that the gospel is good news for the oppressed and the oppressor. Both are raised up. Both are liberated, but in different ways. The oppressed are raised up from the harsh burden of inferiority and the oppressor from the destructive illusion of superiority. O Lord, only you can make all things new. Lord, we confess that the gospel is your power to form a new people, not identified by dominance and superiority, but by unity in the Spirit. O Lord, only you can make all things new. Lord, we ask that you would help us name our part in this country's story of racial oppression and hostility whether we have sinned against others by seeing them as inferior or whether we've been silent in the face of evil, forgive us of our sin. O Lord, only you can make all things new. Lord, we pray for our enemies, for those who have allowed satanic powers to work through them. Grant them deliverance through your mighty power. O Lord, only you can make all things new. Lord, we ask that you would form, a, form us to be peacemakers. May we be people who speak the truth in love as we work for a reconciled world. Oh, Lord, only you can make all things new. Lord, we commit our lives to you, believing that you are working in the world in spite of destructive powers and principalities. Bring healing to those who are hurt. Bring peace to those who are anxious and love to those who are fearful. We wait for you, O Lord. Make haste to help us. O Lord, only you can make all things new. Amen.